All right, so we're going to be covering some interesting stuff today. We're not going to, again, two weeks in a row, we're not doing going to be in the book of Joshua. I know you are stunned. Don't get used to it because next week Joshua's coming back. We are going to make sure that we follow back there. But today's message is really kind of in preparation for what 2024 is going to hold for us. As we look at our world today with all the division, with all the, uh, the, uh, the confusion, with all the frustration that exists in the world today, I think it's pretty evident that the world is in a place where it needs to be ministered to. And so what I'm going to do today is we're going to talk about how our hearts should be preparing for 2024, how God's going to work and intends to work through us as ministers to those that are trapped in this sad reality. Remember, as believers, this is not our world, okay? This is not our world. Our world is, is yet to come, but we are on the earth for a period of time. Whenever Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane in John 17, he actually is praying about and, and talking about this very fact. Will he see it for us in John 17, verses 14 through 18? He says this, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou, thou shouldest keep them from evil. He says, look, I'm not asking you to remove them from this world. They're going to be in the world. But while they're here, protect them from evil. Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And you see, God left us here. He saved us and left us here for a reason. It's so that we could reach this broken and hurting world. There are people all around us right now who are in desperate need of Christ. Verse 17, he made sure to point out the issue of sanctification. Why is sanctification important? Listen, our sanctification, it is the whole thing that makes us effective. Because we are supposed to be different. To be sanctified means you're set apart. It means that you do not look like everything else around you. If we look like the world, people will see a difference in us. The Bible says we're supposed to be, Peter says, a peculiar person. Somebody who is unique. unique. And what we find is people are supposed to see us, and it's supposed to see what everyone else sees, which is anger, frustration, judgment. You know what they should see? Grace. They should see mercy. They should see forgiveness. They should see kindness. They should see patience. And so what we have to do is make certain that we live our lives according to the will of God and the Spirit of God that's within us. The Spirit of God inside of us wants us to do loving, kind, and gracious things. If you're a child of God and you have the Spirit of God in you, you can do what's called grieve the Spirit. That means that the Spirit desires for you to come back in kindness, but you come back in rage. Anyone ever been there? Yeah, sometimes you just like, you lose it, man. You're just like, what in the world? Where'd that come from? Some frustrations build up and we're not surrendered. We're not submitted to God. And guess what? Your flesh comes out. And we all make those mistakes. But listen, God's saying, hey, listen, if you're walking with me and if you're prayerful and if you're, and if you're in a surrendered state, you know what'll happen? The fruit of the Spirit's going to come out of you. You're going to hear the love, the love of God. And so what the world has to do is the world has to be able to look at us and be able to contrast between the godly and the ungodly. They need to be able to see that there's a difference in us. This is absolutely key because it's only through recognizing the difference between us and the contrast that they can recognize that there's potentially hope in the world. Because I can tell you, this world does not have hope. This world has nothing but distractions. And ultimately, it takes people right back into a circle. Where they end up in the same mess they were trying to escape in the first place. Only now, many times, it's worse than it was, as it is our testimony of faith in the face of, of uncertainty that sets us apart 
from the rest of the world. Many people get overwhelmed by their circumstances. Many people live their lives based upon confusion and fear. And that is not the intention that God has for us. Listen, our personal sanctification, our willingness to look different, our fellowship with God, this is key. Because it's through that fellowship with God, through His Spirit working through us, that you and I can make a difference in the life of someone else. Ultimately, that's why we're here. If it was just about us, God would kill us. As soon as we got saved, we would leave this place immediately. But no, He leaves us on the earth so that our life can actually impact someone else. We accomplish this through the sanctification. The verse 17 said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So sanctify them through thy truth. The word of God is how we are sanctified. This is how we set ourselves apart from the rest of the world. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to turn to that truth to get some practical applications of how we can accomplish God's will for us. Now, we're going to do this by looking at four different essentials in our ministry. We're going to look at, first of all, our identity. Then we're going to look at our purpose. Then we're going to look at our mission. And the last one we'll look at is going to be our opposition. And this is key as we move into 2024 because recognize there is a job to be done. And all of us are on the team. If you were born again, child of God, you're on the team. And so it, is, it takes a firm understanding, a grasp of understanding these principles. Uh, and now, collectively, certainly, and also individually. But this is, this is the whole purpose of why God has got us here. It is about reaching the lost and broken world. So, that being said, let's jump into our Bible and let's get into our message, which is titled, About Our Father's Business. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of this time. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, God, thank you for what it contains, which is all wisdom, all knowledge. Thank you, God, for the restorative power of the word of God and the things we've seen you do in this place. Thank you, Lord, for what you will do today. I am confident that you've spoken to me, Lord. I'm asking you now to speak through me. Would you please remove the human element from this message that I not get in the way, but that, Lord, your spirit would speak to our hearts, as Eric prayed, that we would have ears to hear. Thank you for all that you do for us and continuing and are continuing to do in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I gave this that message, which is not directly from Scripture, but it's an homage to what Jesus says whenever, uh, when, Jesus, when Mary and Joseph, they had brought Jesus to, to Jerusalem and they had left and they'd left in a big caravan. And they'd been traveling for about three days and then they realized, you seen Jesus? Has anybody seen, has anybody seen Jesus? Three days. Imagine going to the mall. And losing your 12-year-old child. <laughs> and then for three days, you go looking for your child and you cannot find them. Who would be stressed? Hello, oh my goodness gracious. I was the child when I was a kid. My mom, I, I was very good at getting to the security desk. Because back in the day in the mall, they used to go, David Goodson, go to the white security desk. David Goodson, go to the white security desk. Because I would get lost in the stores. My mom would be doing something, I'd just wander off. Next thing you know, oh. So this is, this is the situation. So they're freaking out. They're looking for Jesus. And when they finally do catch up to him, they find him. It's in Luke chapter 2, verses 46 to 49. It says, And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee, Sought thee sorrowing. Listen, we've been so freaked out and scared looking for you. And he said unto them, How's it that you sought me? Why wouldn't you just immediately go directly to the temple? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? 
Would you not know that's where I'm going to be? Spiritually, I'm going to be in the temple. And see, this is our job. We're supposed to be about our Father's business. It's why we're on the earth. His business is reaching this lost and broken world with the good news of the gospel. He's redeeming the lost. That's the whole purpose. And so if this is to be our focus, we are to consider the state of our current world. Now, I think we can all agree that the world right now is a dark place. And it is getting ever darker. Year by year, we can look at the media. We can look at all that's around us. We look at society around us and the families that we see destroyed and the devastation we see in people's lives all around us. And it is getting darker and darker by the day. And because of this fact, we need to be mindful of the fact that God has a purpose for us to be a light in the darkness. The Bible talks about the light of Christ. In Matthew 5.16, he says, He says, let your light so shine before men that you see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let your light so shine. He's telling us that if we shine, the responsibility is on us because we are the hindrance. The Spirit of God lives inside of us. The light of God lives inside of us. The book of the Philippians tells us that we are to be lights. We are to shine as lights in the darkness. We're supposed to shine as lights. So we have the power to shine within us, and it's God's goodness. It's God's love. It's His mercy. It's His forgiveness. The problem is that we get in the way. That's why it says, let your lights shine. Get out of the way. Now, certainly this is true for us individually, but I'm not going to talk to us individually today. We're going to actually talk to us collectively as, as Hope Baptist Church and understanding the fact that, listen, God collectively has a purpose for us to fulfill as Hope Baptist Church. And this brings us to our first point, which is our identity. Now, when God planted this church, which is going to be going almost seven years ago, when God planted this church, can I tell you this? All we knew was this. We're supposed to establish a church. We're supposed to preach the gospel. We're supposed to teach the Bible. That's all we could tell you. Because if you'd have asked us, what's the identity of the church? I'd have gone like, ah. I mean, it's called hope, I guess. Hope, maybe. That's what it is. I don't, I don't know. We didn't have an identity per se. We didn't understand what it was that the focus of our ministry was going to be. But as people started to come, and as we saw lives, people that came from many different backgrounds, many different uh, understandings of Scripture, we started to realize this was a place of restoration, where people were going to come that were broken in different ways. Perhaps religion. Perhaps addiction, perhaps trauma, perhaps church hurt, who knows what it was, but they all came, everybody kind of came with the same kind of thing, all kind of hurt and broken, but with different sources of pain. But what was so cool was it was the same source that healed all of them, right? It's the word of God that brings restoration to broken people. And see, the world out there does not know that. The world out there thinks that they're going to go and they're going to find it on the internet. They're going to search and find some kind of website or some guru who's going to tell them what they need to eat, some green juice or some purple juice or whatever it is, or a certain type of exercise. They're kind of stretching. You got something, right? There's some solution they're going to give you that's going to finally bring balance to your life and make everything okay. And it's a lie because there is one source The one who created us gave us an information book, a manual on how it is we can find solutions to our lives. God gave us the Bible to reveal himself. And as he reveals himself to us, he shows us who we are. And we start to understand what it is we're for and why we're on the earth. And we start to have a purpose. Most folks in this world, if you ask them why they're here, they go, I don't know. What's the purpose of life? I pay my bills. I owe, I owe, off to work I go. That's just the life that I'm supposed to live. 
And that's where people think. But realizing the fact that there's something so much larger than that is, is kind of overwhelming and kind of humbling. But remarkably, all of us are healed by the same thing, the Word of God. Psalm 107, verses 19 through 21 says this, Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He saveth them out of their distress. Hello. He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. God uses His Word to heal broken people who do not know where to turn. And that's the most wonderful thing in the world. It was funny because, you know, we talked about, uh, Corey and I were talking about this in discipleship. And, it's, and it's, he, said, he said, it's amazing when you talk to people that are lost, but if you just give them a little bit of Bible, it's amazing how they respond. They're like, what? They want to hear it. The night I heard the gospel, I'd never heard the gospel before. I'd never heard scripture before. But the night I heard it, I was like, that's true. I don't know why. I don't know how I know it's true. But I can tell you that it resigns in my heart. That is truth. It was landing like a ton of bricks. And that's the beautiful thing about God's word. It heals you no matter who you are. You can deny it all that you want to, but the Bible says, listen, the word of God does not return void. It always, always plants some type of seed. And as God has ministered to us from the Bible, it's essential for us to become more, to not become complacent. And what I mean is this, it's very easy for us to become comfortable being ministered to. Okay? It's very easy for us to get accustomed to coming to church and sitting back and being like, okay, preacher, help me. Give me what I need. I'm hungry. Give me what I need. Give me what I need. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that, okay? But at the same point in time, we need to ask ourselves, listen, where are we? Okay? As Jesus is speaking to the disciples, it isn't just about being ministered to. I want you to hear what he says in Matthew 20, verses 28. Giving himself as an example. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for any. For many. Remember, Jesus is our example. He sets the example for us to follow. And he says, listen, the whole point of this thing is to minister to others. It's not about just sitting and being ministered to, because that's a very self-fulfilling thing. When you come and you go, man, I just need to be restored. And we plop down and we go, okay, give me what I need. Give me what I need. And listen, if you first came here to this church and the whole point was you came here because you wanted to be ministered to, well, praise God, I'm thankful for that. That's the whole point of why initially God planted this church. And it's okay to come if you need to be healed. Listen to what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to, to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A a time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. And so if you're here and this is a time of healing for you, well then praise the Lord. Focus on healing. That is what you need to do. But if you have been here for a while and you have been sitting and you've been receiving and you've experienced healing, can I challenge you? Listen, if you have now more knowledge of God than you used to have and you've been through experiences where you have seen yourself be healed, can I challenge you to start to think less of yourself And start to shift your perspective to outside the doors of this place. 
Because what will happen is sometimes we get so focused on our own restoration that we lose sight of what God can do through us. And this is the problem. So we have to ask ourselves, are we here simply so that we can be restored or, or we wanna, do we want to be a part of restoring? This is why God gave you the story that He did. It's why He brought you here in the first place. Remember what Jesus said. He says, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. And this directs us to our second point, which is this, our purpose. Listen, God saved us again. Not so that we would get consumed with our own experience with His love, but that, with that through our experience, listen, we would share it with others. And this is the problem. Because we're selfish by nature, we all think about how things impact us. What about me? What about me? What about me? That's not the perspective that the Lord has. That's not the perspective that we're supposed to have. We're supposed to be about helping to restore those that are out there in the world that are broken, recognizing the needs of others. Because what happens when we get so focused on ourselves, we lose sight of everyone around us. We see everything through the way that it impacts us, and we can be blind to a person that's right beside us who is in suffering, a person who is, who is in need. And so if God has given you, through your experience, and healed you and given you some, some biblical knowledge, listen, the reason why the story you have is yours is because there is someone that you're supposed to interact with who your story will uniquely connect with. Right? There's a loss that you've experienced in your life, and you look back and go, why would this ever happen? But can I tell you, there's coming someone someday who's going to have a similar loss, and they're going to think, no one can understand what I've been through. No one can see what I've been through. No one's faced the sadness that I have. And yet, God can take that brokenness that we used to hate and go, oh, no, 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 here's my chance. Let me use this to help them. And then suddenly, the thing that we used to hate, suddenly we have value for it. And we start to realize that God has a purpose and a plan for suffering. We say it around here all the time. God never wastes pain. He does not because God allows all things. Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for good for those that love God that are called according to his purpose. All things, all things, all things. Good things, bad things. Things we like and things, things that we hate. And again, God's given us a unique and special perspective on restoration through his word. And as he's done so, it's so that your life can touch someone, someone else's. Amen. So I want you to evaluate where you are, okay? Is your focus primarily on your own restoration? Or are you now focused on trying to help restore someone else? If you have been here for years and it's still you're still focused on your own restoration, can I challenge you to get serious about what it is God wants to do through your life? Listen, you're, get involved in discipleship. Get discipled by someone who can then share. And what's so cool, what you'll find as we put the disciples and disciplers together is the fact that, guess what? Many times their stories integrate through their experiences and what it is they're going through, and it really helps that one that's, that one that's been restored to help restore that other. Because again, this is all about developing a church that then makes a difference in the community. If we're just about Hope Baptist Church and we just meet in here like in a cocoon and we just support and slap each other on the back, then we're just like everybody else. We're supposed to be a ministry that reaches out and offers hope to people that are hopeless. So when they see that sign and it says a place of restoration, they should be able to come in here and not only... And you guys do an amazing job, and I'm not 
You guys, when people come in here, I always, because I, I do follow-up calls and people, I say, man, I felt so welcome when I walked in. I felt so well-received. I just got so many hugs and handshakes. and It felt so nice to be there, and that's wonderful because that's a part of it. When people come here, guess what? They're uncomfortable. They're scared, right? And so the more we can do to get their guard to drop so that they can say, hey, listen, you know what? This is a place of people that are like me. Hey, they just want to love the Lord. They want to they grow. They've been restored. And how cool whenever we get transparent and we start to share stories with one another. And so, again, if you've been here for years and you're still in the process, discipleship is what you need. And see, the Bible is our spiritual food, okay? So when we get saved initially, when we first come to the Lord, we're what's called a spiritual babe, okay? Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 2. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. He says, you guys were newborn. Remember the Bible talks about being born again. This is a newborn baby in Christ who does not have a foundation, right? We do not have a newborn. No one here would have a newborn child. Take that child and set it outside the door and say, good luck, little buddy. Hope things work out for you. You can do it. I believe in you. Right? But there are churches where people get saved and they go, okay, you just sit in the seat and you're going to grow. Just do it. No. What does a parent do? A parent takes care of that child. They protect them. They clothe them. They, they feed them, don't they? They feed them. And do they give them a steak? Leave a steak outside? Good luck, buddy? No. They prepare a bottle, right? Or they breastfeed. They provide milk for the child because the child can only receive very, very minimal uh, nourishment. You could take a newborn baby and lay it in the midst of a gigantic banquet, and guess what? It would starve to death because it does not, it's not at a developmental level where it can have anything except for milk. So when someone's a newborn babe, the Bible references itself as milk. But then notice what he says further. He says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it. You weren't mature enough. Neither yet now are ye able. So we give a baby milk so that it can receive it. It is fed that milk. So if you're at a place in your life where you say, listen, I don't have a lot of biblical knowledge. If you're like I was when I got saved, I didn't know anything. And so guess what I did? I sat in the seat. And guess what? Every week, the pastor would study and prepare and consume. And then he would gestate that or whatever. I don't know what you call it. Turn it into milk, right? What does a mother do? A mother eats the food, then creates milk, and the baby receives it. She gets the, he gets the nourishment. But what happens is it's fed to the child, right? And so sometimes we sit in the service, man. You're here and you go, hey, listen, I've come to be fed. Great. Suck up, man. Bottle up. Yes. I'm going to feed you. But listen, if you've been here for two years and you're still, there's a problem, right? You know, I remember being, should I share the story? Yeah, I'll share it. Why not? I was in college and I had a night class one time and this woman was coming to the class and she had this long hair. She was very, kumbaya, whatever. And she had a seven-year-old son and we took a break and he was like, mommy, I'm thirsty. And she was like, come on, baby. And I was like, whoa, hello. <laughs> she was breastfeeding a seven-year-old in class. And I was like, I think you should have outgrown that by now, young man. <laughs> There's a problem there, right? We're supposed to mature off the milk and get to the meat. What is meat? Meat is when you sit down and you pick up a knife and a fork, and guess what? You can feed yourself, right? That's the goal. That's why discipleship is important. That's why developing your, your understanding. The transition to solid food is a step of maturity, 
Because what happens eventually, what does we want you? We want you to be a young man. Then we want you to be a, a spiritual father. We want you to be able to lead and develop and protect your family, but also lead and develop other people. We're just to develop spiritual children in this world. And that's what the discipleship process is. And we saw that Paul also referenced it as meat. It is that transition, as I said, that allows people to go from being fed, having to always come in. You, know, you don't study the Word of God all week long, and you come here on Sundays, and someone else has done all the work. They've studied, they've prepared, and they just give you the milk. You're never going to get beyond being a baby. There are people that have been in church for 50 years that today are spiritual babies. They do not know how to study the Word of God. They don't even know how to share their faith, honestly, because they've gotten so accustomed just to be focused on their own growth. And this is the problem. When we go to church and we think it's all just about us, and we don't realize that God's given us a purpose that's greater than this, well, it's easy to, to do because obviously we are selfish by nature. So if you are still in the milk, can I tell you it's time to grow up if you've been here for a while. Hope Baptist Church has been given identity as a place of restoration. And then as members of this body, we are all called to fulfill that same purpose. If it's what the church is supposed to do, then guess what? We're supposed to be a part of that. Question is, who are you actively allowing your life to be a part of restoring? Right? Evaluate where you are and think about what am I doing? Right? Who in my family am I working to restore, to develop, and to teach in the Word of God? God's Word is the key to this whole thing. Uh, you might say, I don't know how to do that. And that's okay. But you know what? You can certainly pray intercessory prayers for the lost. Right? Are you daily on your knees praying for lost people? Are you praying intercessory prayers for, the, for your neighbor who needs to know the Lord, that you know their life is a mess, you know their life is a wreck? God, if there's some way and somehow that you could direct to, to use my life in some way, God, would you not allow that to take place? Would you put me in a circumstance and a situation and give me the boldness to be able to speak those things that I need to say? Listen, are, are, we, are we loving on people, just being their friend? You know, sometimes somebody just needs someone just to lean on. We've all been at a place in time where we've been broken, so broken that we just need to say, listen, I just need to talk to somebody. Somebody who's not going to judge me, but somebody who's going to just love me, right? And so many times that's what we get to do as brothers and sisters. Because you know what? People are going to get judged out there. They're already getting judged. I can promise you that the accuser is attacking them for their failure, right? The devil's going to come after them. But what do we know? Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. What does it say? It says, you know what? Brethren... If a man be overtaken in a fault, okay? This is someone who's struggling to be holy. Someone who's struggling to be godly. Listen, ye which are spiritual. Notice the next word. Restore. Restore such an one. Restore. This is the mission that God's given us. This is the purpose of our church is to restore others. This is why we're here. And notice this. Such an one, it says, in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. In verse 2, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Be that friend that they can say, listen, you know what? I'm in the midst of a dark pit. I have fallen. I have failed, and I want to get right, and I, want to, I don't have the strength to even stand right now. Listen, brother, you know what? I'll stand with you. I know that you're in a tough spot, but you listen, I'm not judging you, man. I've been down myself. And what many of us like to do is we like to look at where we are in our spiritual walk. And when someone's down, someone has failed, we have a tendency to look down on them because, well, I'm not there. But if we took you at your lowest point in your spiritual walk and we put you side by side with them, sometimes we'd be below them. 
So why don't we come to them with grace, the same thing that we would wish that they would give us? Why don't we love them and help to restore them? Remember, he says, ye which are spiritual, restore and one and bear their burden with them. Walk with them on this road. And so we recognize the identity as a church and we can clearly see the purpose that God's intended to fulfill through this body, restoring the broken, disillusioned, and the lost. And where those, listen, those have been restored, then take their experience, and then they help to restore other people. But it's on this vein of restoration that we're going to go to our next point, which is this, our mission. Our mission. And so we understand, as born-again believers, as, as, as children of God, we have been given a job to do. God has a mission for us to complete. We've been commissioned to share the gospel. Not with a chosen few. We've been shared, we've been, we've been commissioned to share the gospel with the world. God will define for us who our target audience uh, is for us in John 3:16. For God so loved the world. So the target audience is the world, right? That, and he says that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever in the whole wide world believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But then picking back up in John 17, where Jesus is praying before his crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane, we hear him tell us this, telling us more specifically about our mission. Verse 18, he says this, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Okay, sent us. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they, may also, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone. And here we go. So Jesus is talking to the disciples that are here with him in the garden. But I want you to notice he's getting ready to shift to talk to all of us, all future believers. He says, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. All future believers. Listen, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. And that they also be, may, be made, may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. The job is this, to let them know that Jesus Christ came to the world. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. He was resurrected and is, it sits at the right hand of the Father, commissioning us to give the good news. Jesus was prophesied to come. And we've seen this prophecy fulfilled. The, the, for us, if we think about what the gospel is, the, 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 you said, I want to define the gospel for the church age. There's different gospels for different time frames. What we find is the gospel here, this is gospel for us during the church age, is defined for us in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. Notice what Paul says. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory that I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and then he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Paul is certain, he's making sure here to ensure that we do not assume that this is a gospel that he developed on his own. Notice what he said in verse 3. For I have delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. This is not from me. This is from another source. Now, if we go to Galatians chapter number 1, we can look in verses 11 and 12. And guess what it does? It tells us more specifically where that gospel came from. But I certify, this is, but I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which, which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of a man, neither was I taught it. Notice this last part but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
The gospel that I'm giving you guys is the very one that Jesus delivered to me. This came directly from God. And his command is for us to go reach the world. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. We know this is the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even at the end of the world. Amen. Amen. Are we actively, through our testimony of Christian faith, through our faithful giving, through our sharing of the gospel, through our prayers for the lost, are we actively, consistently working to fulfill God's commission? We should be, right? This should be the focus of our lives because this is what he left us with. He's like, listen, if you don't do anything else, this is your focus. Make sure the world knows of me. Are we doing that? Is that our focus when we wake up? Or is it I owe, I owe? off to work. I go. If we take God's command seriously, this is exactly who we should be. It's ultimately why God left us on the earth after salvation. Again, the purpose of our story, the purpose of our restoration is not about us. It is actually about others. And this is the focus that we are to have. Are we a part of the restoring of others? Recognize, as you have a neighbor who, who's, who, lives, who lives a life that's destructive, we look at someone's, someone's, uh, someone's testimony of their, of their life on the earth, and let's say even if they're a Christian, but we look at people, and so many times it's so easy to judge them. It's very easy to look at people and say, listen, boy, they deserve what they're getting. What a mess their life is. Can you believe what they're doing? Listen, if they're lost people, what do you expect lost people to do except for act like lost people? Right? You didn't know me prior to Christ? You'd have been like, dude, I hate that guy. I was not the kind of person you'd want to hang out with. I was very selfish, very destructive, very self-centered. And the thing is, not that I don't have those, still those same, same tendencies, but now at least I have the Spirit of God that battles against those things in my own flesh. And so here we are, as we live in our lives, so many times we want to look at the world and we want to judge it, but God says that that's not your job. Judge not lest ye be judged. It's not about you judging someone's worth. You can judge sin, certainly, because that helps us to understand who they are and where they're coming from. But boy, we don't judge their worth. We don't judge their worthiness of the gospel. We love everybody. For God so loved the world. And that's the expectation he has for us, that we would love this hurting and broken world. Consider as Jesus boils down all of his commandments to really down to two simple ones. And he tells us this in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. Jesus saith unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Are we doing that? Are we loving them? We have to love them enough to give them the truth. And that requires sometimes uncomfortable conversations, right? It's very easy to talk about sports, well, as long as you're on the same team, I guess. It's easy to talk about all kinds of things that are going on in the world, the price of gas when you get to a service station. Man, it's gas expensive. Oh, and it's but what about those conversations about the Lord? What about conversations about things dealing with eternity? Those sometimes are uncomfortable conversations. But we have to love people enough to be willing to put our comfort at risk. Because you know what? They need to know. Someone told us. Are we doing that? If so, then we'll actively be sharing the gospel of Christ with those willing to listen. We've acknowledged our identity, our purpose, and our mission. They're each established in Scripture and profitable for the kingdom of God. And because of that fact, 
because these are all godly. Those first three, they're godly. This is the intention of the Lord. We can expect that we will face opposition, right? What is he doing? He's actively, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. This is our opposition. This is our enemy, right? This is our last point, opposition. Now, Scripture tells us that if we are committed to building God's kingdom, and this is the, the focus of our hearts, then guess what? We should expect opposition, okay? What is it? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says this, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Paul's telling Timothy, hey, Paul, or Timothy, when you're out there doing the right thing, you can expect that there's going to come opposition against you. This is just a reality. So if we're faithfully walking with God, we can expect that we're going to face some type of an opposition, something that's going to try to stop us. We even, it's, it's titled as persecution there. Now, as opposed to being deterred by that, we should actually be encouraged by it. Give you an example. Okay? I'm not a basketball player. I've never been a basketball player. I tried, and man, it was ugly. I did just sit me in to foul people. Okay? That guy right there, go foul him. I'm going, okay. Right? I couldn't shoot and do any of the right stuff. So let's imagine... Okay, let's imagine that Josh and I are going to go out, and Josh is a, he just kills with the three-pointers, man. He's just like raining them down, bomb, bomb, bomb. So Josh hits the court. They're double-teaming, triple-teaming Josh. They're all over him, and they just block, block, block. They're all, I mean, they're literally all over him. I step on the court. No one even acknowledges I'm on the court. <laughs> I'm just, I'm standing there. I'm completely by myself. They could give me the ball at any time, but they're all going, you know what? Don't worry about it. That guy is not a threat to scoring in this game. It's not a problem. Keep that guy covered up. So it's, a, it's a actually a good thing, right? Because we're only going to face opposition if we are a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And that's the point. So when you face opposition, instead of being deterred by it, instead of being or broken down by it, say, hey, listen, you know, hey, this is a good thing. This shows that I'm actually doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And then God goes further to give us sort of an idea of how, what form that, uh, that opposition can come in. Verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Notice that. That's important. He says deceiving. They're deceiving others, but they're also caught up in their own deception. They've been, they've been fooled. They've been deceived. And so this is not talking about some demonic entity that's going to come after us. It is recognizing them as people. People are going to bring persecution. Verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. And has been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So he, Paul's telling Timothy, listen, you're going to face opposition. And when you do, recognize there's going to be men that are going to come. They're going to lie. They're going to do all kinds of things. Many of them are caught up in their own lies. They don't even understand what's going on. But they're used as elements of evil. What I need you to do, Timothy, stay in the word. Trust in the word. Stay. This is, this is your strength, Timothy. Verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Our faith is grounded in the reality of the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ. Verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for, for correction, and then for instruction in righteousness. Okay, so it gives us four things that the gospel, that the Bible should do. It says, first of all, doctrine. Doctrine simply means teaching, okay? There are what's called false doctrine and there is proper doctrine. Doctrine simply means Teaching. So the Bible is supposed to educate or inform us. Then it says reproof. Reproof is a command to stop a behavior, right? If a child's running, you go, hey, stop. That's a reproof. Then it says correction, right? That's an explanation of why that behavior is wrong. Then the next thing it says, instructions in righteousness. This is redirecting them 
to a proper behavior. Stop. Ah, running is dangerous because you can knock somebody down. I need you to walk. Right? That's what it is. It's teaching us. Now, in our spiritual walk, guess what? We need to be reproved. You know, we need to be corrected. We need to be instructed. So what does God's word do? It lovingly does this for us time and time again. Bible preaching should do all four of those. It should confront us. It should educate us. And it should redirect us on a path of godliness. If you go to church and all they do is constantly pat you on the back and tell you you're doing a great job, they're not doing what the Bible says that it should be doing. It should be uncomfortable. There should be times when I tell you something or I share something and it steps on your toes and you go, golly, I don't like that. And that's okay. Because listen, I'm not here. This is none of this is from me. I'm, my job is just simply to share with you what God's word says. We share the principles of God's truth because he wants us to be better, right? He has an expectation of who we can become and it's through his word that we get shaped into that person. And so it should confront us. Remember the warning, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So it says evil men. There are some people in this world that have sold themselves out to wickedness. They are just evil. Now, are they without hope? No. But there are some people, man, that, that's, that's, just, that's just kind of the core of who they are, self-centered and destructive. And then there are others, it says, that are seducers, right? A seducer, what does it mean to be seduced? To be seduced means that someone's going to prey upon our desires, right? So why is it so popular, the prosperity gospel in Africa, where we go? Because the people are so poor. So what they do is they prey upon the desire of their heart, which is to have more. They want more abundance because they have absolutely nothing. So what do they do? They come and they prey upon that weakness. And boy, oh boy, guess what they do? These men come in and they get rich off of the backs of people that can barely put food in their mouths, promising them, well, if you give this, sow this seed and you're going to get this back. Sow this seed. Lies, lies, lies. It's not about what we're going to prosper for. It's all about a spiritual journey. And you know what's amazing is when we go there, actually these people are more spiritually um, uh, rich than most Christians. Most Christians are so distracted by so much stuff that their spiritual life is a joke. And yet when you go there, they have nothing to distract them. And they are sold out to the gospel of Christ. Man, there are Christians there that have absolutely nothing, that have never owned shoes, and they will put us to shame when we stand before the Lord. Their hearts are sold out. To God. And so what happens, false doctrines, what do they do? They glorify the flesh. They prey upon the weaknesses of humanity. And what it comes down to is the fact that there are so many people that claim to be believers today that are caught up in false doctrines that are all about fulfilling their own desires. It's about their experience, right? It comes down to this. It's about their experience with God, how it impacts them, how they feel. Instead of realizing it's not about your experience. It's about understanding your experience is to be shared with others right? It's not about just you. And this, again, preying upon our, our, our desires for ourselves. False doctrine does this all the time. This is why as good Bereans, we actually go and we compare God's word. We hear something, we receive it, but then we want to check it and make sure that it's actually valid. We want to confirm it with scripture. First John chapter four, verses one and two. He says this, beloved, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world, okay? There's tons of lies all around us. Hereby know you the spirit of God, okay? Here's a short test. This is an easy way to sort of qualify when you're looking at somebody. He says, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. So this is someone who's saying that, listen, I confirm that Jesus Christ is God the Son, and Jesus, and he is, he is God the Son, and whatever it is. There's a phrase there. He's God, okay? 
But a Jehovah's Witness, guess what a Jehovah's Witness says? He is a God, right? You go to a Mormon, guess what? He's a God. You go to Islam, he is a prophet. You go to all these different places, they're not admitting that he is Jesus Christ. That's a simple test that we can do. But understand, recognizing the fact that Paul in verse 17 told him this, this sort of qualifying it all and why it's important for him to be faithful to the word of God here in verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Now, when you see that word perfect in your King James Bible, it means mature, that you would be mature in your faith. And it says, truly furnished unto all good works. And it is our consistency in the word of God and faithful application of it that enable us to become who it is God's called us to be. Because it's one thing to have knowledge, and it's another thing to have application. Why do we push Wednesday night so hard? Because Wednesday night is all about application. We'll teach you principles on Sunday morning. We'll discuss them. We'll give you a bunch of information. You'll have your handouts to take home. But those questions are to get you to start to use application, application, application. Then we sit down and we discuss it and we talk through how do I practically live out my faith. This will enable us, as I said, to become who God called us to be. A singularly focused body of believers fully committed to being restorers. But if we're not consistent, listen, if we're not consistent in the word and we're not faithful in applying God's word, you know what will happen? We will open the door to our own destruction. Okay? This is key. This, this is the, 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 the crux of the whole thing. Because recognize, listen, our, our churches in the world are not destroyed by outside impact. They are destroyed from within. Churches are destroyed from within. Outside attacks, you know what they do? They strengthen the church. But boy, oh boy, gossip, division, all that stuff gets inside of a church. Next thing you know, boom. Who's ever heard of a church split before? Who's ever been in a church split before? Oh, my goodness gracious. Is it of God? Absolutely not. It is purely driven by the flesh, and yet churches fall prey to it all the time. You see, it works like this. If we all see the world through the same lens of Scripture, then guess what? We'll all be unified together. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says this, Now I beseech you, brethren, speaking to the church, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind. Okay? We have the mind of Christ. Right? I see the world through the same thing. And in the same judgment. So when you look at the world, you see it the same way. The problem is when we don't do that, what happens is we start to see it through our own perspective. And see, this is not only for the church, but listen, because if, if, when our church is, is, is what we're doing, what we're supposed to do, if we're, if we're, if we're functioning as one, if we're focused on the gospel, if this, if this is the drive of our church, we become a mighty fortress for the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord. We can become powerful the glory of God, not only for our membership, but for our community. Where people can say, listen, I don't know anywhere else I can go. Where I know on Sunday morning, guess what? If I take them there, they're going to hear the gospel. If I take them there, someone's going to tell them the truth. If I take them there, they're going to get loved on. If I take them there, they're going to take the time to actually help train and develop. If that person's looking for the Lord, I know where I can take them. Praise God. Because there are a lot of churches you go and you go, man, I hope they give an invitation. I can promise you. You bring them here, you're going to get an invitation. You may be tired of hearing them, but guess what? We're going to give them every single week because we don't know who's listening. We don't know who's watching online. Somebody's listening to this thing recorded. And you know what? Be that invitation could be the thing that brings them to Christ. Right. So we're consistent. We're faithful to do what God's called us to do. So understanding long term, what will happen is if our lens is not all focused, we're not focused through the same thing, 
If we're not all seeing the world through a biblical lens, what will happen again? We'll start to see things as individuals. And then what happens? Some people will slip into judgment. Other people will, fall them, will find themselves in a place of tolerating sin. Others will condemn sin. And you have other people that are trying to restore. And so now we've got all these different factions trying to accomplish different things in the name of the church, representing it incorrectly. And then what happens? You know what? We're not functioning under one identity, one purpose, or one mission. And instead of doing things decently and in order, as it tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, guess what? It becomes chaos. The division starts to develop. And the next thing you know, if the churches are not destroyed, what traditionally will happen to them is they go through a sort of a, um, a process. And they shift from being churches that are doctrinally driven to being much more social clubs. It starts to become about relationships. There are people in churches that literally don't even agree with the doctrine of the church, but they stay in the church because guess what? They have relationships with people that they really care about. Well, this is our family church. I know the preacher's crazy, and I know they do a lot of nothing. I mean, it's like, but, but, but hey, that, my mom goes there. My grandma goes there. My aunt goes there. And this fellowships are so wonderful. And the food, oh, my gosh, we just have such a good time together. It's such a, it's such a warm and wonderful place. It feels like home. What about the doctrine? Well, I don't really worry so much about that. Sadly, but this is a reality for many people. And what happens is instead of having Scripture be the focus and the drive, it's about their entertainment and their emotional fulfillment. And literally in these moments and these places, the devil has won. Because they are churches by title, but they're not what God intended for the church to be. We're supposed to be a gospel-driven restoration, a place like a hospital for sinners instead of a country club for saints. It's not about us. It's about the world around us. If we were to find them biblically, we would call them the Laodicean churches. Okay? There are seven different church um, time periods that are covered in Scripture. And when we go to the book of Revelations and we work our way through in chapters 2 and 3, we work through the different church ages, the different church times. There's the Philadelphian church age, which ended around 1901. And what's interesting was all the church ages during the Bible... What's interesting is when Jesus speaks to them in, in Revelations, he actually gives each one, he gives a, a commendation, and then he gives a condemnation. Then you get to the Philadelphian church age, which Philadelphia means brotherly love. And when, that, during that time period, that was when there was the greatest expanse of missions around the world. Literally, that's when the gospel went all over the planet. That's when the King James Bible came on the, the printing press. All these things, man, God did amazing work in the world. The gospel spread all over the place. There's not a condemnation for them. There's a commendation. But boy, when you get to the Laodicean church age, which is the age we're in right now, 1901 until the Lord's return, that's where we are. Guess what? There is no commendation. It's only a condemnation. Let's listen to what he says to them. Revelations 3, verses 15 through 20. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. I want you to choose. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You make me sick. Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Where all the distractions of the physical world and knowest not that thou art. Because he's saying this first part, he's talking about the physical. And then this Jesus is going to talk about here from a spiritual perspective. Knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Listen to this, verse 18. I counsel thee. This is my advice to you. To buy of me, come to me, gold tried in the fire. Focus on those things that are eternal. Get your eyes off of the carnal, that thou mayest be rich, truly rich, right? 
and white raiment, and that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness, your, your worldliness, do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve. You know what the eye salve God's given us is? The Word of God, man. This breaks through the blindness. Man, there have been times in our lives, maybe for all of us, where we have been blind to the truth of God's Word, and God's brought Scripture to life in our face and just said, boom, whoa! I need to change. I need to see things differently. He says that thou mayest see. Verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Even the churches of Laodicea, God is offering them as far off as they are. He's offering them a response to repent. Notice what he said in verse number, verse number 19. As many as I love. Remember, he's talking to believers. As many as I love. I rebuke and chasten. Go to, go to Hebrews chapter number 12 and look at the chastening of the Lord. Be zealous therefore and repent. Turn. Turn back to me. Understand what the church is here for. Why did God plant Hope Baptist Church? Not so that we can sit around and slap each other on the back and be so thankful that we're saved, but so that we can become a ministering tool to reach the neighborhoods, the people around us, our neighbors, our coworkers. The whole goal is that our life is supposed to make a difference long-term. As a church, our opposition is disunity. What will cause us to be destroyed will be us all seeing things from a different perspective. And the way that happens is through selfishness. We're naturally selfish by nature. And if we're sitting there thinking, you know what? Well, you know what? Preacher didn't give me a hug after service. You know, normally I get a hug. I must have some, some, got something going on there, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll pay attention to that. I'm going to watch him close. Mm-hmm. Oh, you see that? Uh-huh. He didn't even look at me. Yep, see that? Oh, yeah, I'm making notes. Right? And stupid little stuff that doesn't mean anything in eternity. And the devil will take us and go, ah, oh, look, 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 look. There's some division. Whoa, look at that. Favoritism. Oh, you see that? You see that? You see that? The next thing you're not, yeah, I do see that. Mm-hmm. I do see that. And we start to buy into the crap that doesn't make any difference in eternity. And the things that matter, which is us functioning as one, thus making a difference in the world, all that stuff, we lose sight of it. We get caught up in ourselves. The next thing you know, because of this selfish perspective, we have lost sight of everything. And we become blind and naked and poor. We become the very thing that God warns us about. And right now we live in a society that is so filled with distraction. It's so filled with so many reasons to not pay attention to the gospel. And you have the world telling us that, listen, God is not the solution. God's not the solution. God's not the solution. But can I tell you, he's always been the solution. The devil's working harder now than he ever has. And bottom bottom line is so many people have bought into the lie. That's why we stand out if we're sanctified, if we're holy, and we can offer hope to people through what people see in our lives. So God's word heals the broken. This is a place of restoration. We must be unified in order to do this. Our purpose is to help restore others as we have been restored. Our mission, which is reaching the lost world. Listen, this is the whole thing. Reaching the gospel, reaching the world with the gospel of Christ. And the reason God planted us here, the reason why he put this church in this location and wherever he's going to move us to in the future and as he expands and helps us plant other churches, it is to function as that one unified body that makes a difference for the cause of Christ. Again, we're supposed to be about our Father's business. That's why we're here, right? That's why we're here. So my challenge for us for 2024 is to identify, listen, am I living my identity as a part of this church? Am I, 
Is my life a place where people can find restoration? Right? Is my purpose being fulfilled? Am I taking my story? Am I willing to talk? Am I willing to share? Am I willing to love? Am I willing to be kind and gracious? Am I willing to be used for the glory of God? Am I focused on the mission? The mission to reach this broken world. Because I can promise you the opposition will not stop. It is going to get greater and greater and greater. The Bible says it's going to wax worse and worse. And every year we take step closer to the Lord's return, evil is going to get stronger and more powerful. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We need not lose hope. Because listen, until we take our last breath, until the Lord zips us off this planet, man, we must be about our Father's business. Because you do not know who the last person we reach might be. What if your neighbor who you've given up on, what if you started praying for them intently? I mean fervently. And you're weeping over their soul. And what if that one day you start to have a conversation with them and they say, huh, and they start to listen. And what if after they receive Christ and they say amen, they were the last one. Man, how wonderful would it be to stand before the Lord? Man, imagine that. Imagine that. You're going to stand before the Lord. All of us are. Some of us can be busy watching Netflix. Something we shouldn't even be watching. Oh, Lord, wow, golly, that was, that's inappropriate. That was, that was wrong. But what if you were pouring your heart out for the glory of God and this person would have had the ears to hear and they recognized your story and your brokenness and they gave their heart to Christ and you could stand before the Lord and that was the last thing you did. If you never share it, that can't happen. But what if you live every day saying, hey, listen, what if today's my last day? Let me be that person. Let me make a difference. That's my challenge for 2024 for all of us, that we be focused on our identity, our purpose, our mission, and be aware opposition is coming. But greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for your love for us for the incredible truths that you've shared through your word. And Lord, I do pray that you'd help us to be mindful of the mission that you've given us, God, mindful of our identity, our purpose, our mission. And Lord, God, help us, all of us as a body, to be focused on being biblical in the way that we see the world. Help us love this broken place. Help us be a light in the darkness, not to get consumed with our own issues and concerns, but Lord, realizing that we have a much greater purpose for being here. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for all that you're doing. Jesus' name. Amen. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. If you're here today and you say, listen, Pastor, I don't know where I stand with God. And listen, there are lots of people that are religious. There's lots of people that are in church that are lost. They are religious. They believe that God exists, but they've never surrendered their heart to Christ. If there's never been a time in your life, you're watching this recorded, you're listening to this, and you say, listen, I've never truly received Christ. I may believe that God exists, but I don't know that I'm saved. Listen, I promise you, he's reaching out to you right now. If you feel the draw of God on your heart, all you have to do is surrender. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, including you. And he can wipe you clean through his death, burial, and resurrection. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. There's no magic in the words. If it's just words, do not say them. But if your heart wants to receive Christ, repeat after me in your heart and mind. And let's speak to God directly. Dear Lord, I come to you today understanding that I am lost. That I may understand that you exist. 
but I don't have a relationship with you. And right now, in my deepest desire, I know I need you. So from a heart of faith, I'm asking you to come into my life. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I'm asking for you to give me a home in heaven. Lord, I put my faith and my eternity in your hands. May you use my life for your glory. And I will see you, Lord, in one day in heaven. Thank you for saving me. It's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.